Welcome to the podcast of Azel Christian Church. We are a Disciples of Christ Church community in Azel, Texas. We invite everyone to be who you are with us, the doubting, the believing, the wondering, and everything in between. On this podcast, you'll hear our pastor, Reverend Ashley Dargai, preach on how the expansive and generative love of God is seen through Jesus, the prophets, the early church, and the faith forebears, and how this love helps us care for the world more deeply and faithfully. Sometimes it's messy and tough, but it's good news, and it is for you. Our scripture for this morning is Matthew 17, 1 through 9. It's on the back of your bulletin. It's also on the screens if you'd like to follow along. Six days later, Jesus took with him Peter and James and his brother John and led them up a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them. And his face shone like the sun and his clothes became dazzling white. And suddenly there appeared to them Moses and Elijah talking with him. Then Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If you wish, I will make three dwellings here, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. While he was still speaking, suddenly a bright cloud overshadowed them, and from the cloud a voice said, This is my son, the beloved. With him I am well pleased. Listen to him. When the disciples heard this, they fell to the ground and were overcome by fear. But Jesus came and touched them, saying, Get up. Do not be afraid. And when they looked up, they saw no one except Jesus himself alone. As they were coming down the mountain, Jesus ordered them, tell no one about the vision until after the Son of Man has been raised from the dead. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Today is Transfiguration Sunday, which occurs on our church calendar the Sunday before Ash Wednesday each year. Churches across the country are reading about this mystical experience on a mountain in preparation for the journey to Jerusalem with Jesus that takes place during Lent. And while this story is not about Peter, it's about Jesus, like all good gospel stories, it's good for us to focus on Peter for a minute. He's the patron saint of impulsivity, of putting his foot in his mouth, of zeal and enthusiasm and brashness. And in Matthew's telling of the transfiguration story, this scene begins with the words, six days later. This mountaintop event takes place six days after two very interesting exchanges between Peter and Jesus. And it'd be helpful for us in understanding this mountain experience if we go back and see what happened six days ago. So in the first exchange, Jesus asked Peter who people were saying he was. And Peter responded, well, some say you're a prophet. Some confuse you with John the Baptist. Others say you're the prophet Elijah back from, the he- back from heaven. And then Jesus asked him the question that we all must answer for ourselves. But who do you say that I am? And Peter replied, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. It's a beautiful moment, a sermon unto itself. And then a little while after this conversation, Jesus began to talk about what his journey to Jerusalem would be about, namely that he would suffer and die. And Peter, our earnest, passionate Peter, 
said, whoa, 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 Jesus, you've got it all wrong. After all, Peter had just made this breathtaking theological and political claim. Jesus was the chosen one. He was the son of the living God, not the dying God. And Jesus replied, get behind me, Satan. He did this lovingly, I'm sure. And he turned to the rest of the disciples and said, look, if you want to follow me, this is the way. You must lose your life. You must take up your cross. And anyway, what good would it do if you gain the whole world but forfeit your soul? And then, six days later, Matthew tells us, six days after this conversation, Jesus takes Peter and James and John up the mountain. You know, strange things happen on mountains in Scripture. In this instance, when Jesus and his gang arrive at the top of the mountain, he is transfigured, whatever that means. And his appearance is described as dazzling and shining like the sun. I like to think of this as glitter Jesus. If glitter wasn't so hard to get out, I'd throw glitter out right now. When this happens, Moses and Elijah suddenly appear beside him. And if you remember, these guys both had divine encounters on mountaintops too. Right? Moses had gone to the mountain to receive the law from God. And when he came down, his face was too dazzling to look at. And Elijah had stood on a mountain to hear God speak, not in the wind or an earthquake or in the fire, but in a still, small voice. And Moses and Elijah were great prophets of old who had a fuzzy relationship with death, who worked miracles and understood being misunderstood by their own people. So they were indeed good company for Jesus. So when Jesus goes up a mountain with Peter, James, and John, the readers of Matthew would know that something spectacular was about to happen. It's like when we hear once upon a time, we know what kind of story we're getting. So when Matthew's audience heard they went up a mountain, they would know that this was not an account of a rock climbing weekend, but rather a God encounter story. Human and divine were about to get really, really close. And when Moses and Elijah appear, it's as if the gospel was writing in all caps. I hope you're thinking about what happened to these guys on the mountain. And our pal Peter, so excited, so hopeful, so jazzed to be on the mountain with Jesus. After his big proclamation and his sobering interaction with Jesus, looks around at the scene and says, I am so happy to be here to see this. Right, it is good for us to be here. In fact, let me build a few tents for everybody so we can stay a little while. One for Moses, one for Elijah, one for Jesus. We'll get the campfire going, bust out the s'mores. But before he could finish his sentence, God interrupts him. And from the clouds, the text says, a voice speaks. I don't know how you hear this voice. Do you hear a booming voice from heaven, a la James Earl Jones or Morgan Freeman? Maybe you hear a breathy whisper that rides the wind and tickles the ear. Or perhaps you imagine this voice as an internal nudging, as if the divine uploaded this revelation to the disciples' minds. However you hear it, the voice says, this is my beloved, my son, With him I am well pleased. Listen to him. 
we heard these words before at Jesus' baptism, and we hear them again now. And though God cut Peter off, these words are also very similar to what Peter said six days ago. You are the Christ, the chosen one, the son of the living God. When the disciples hear this voice, they fall down in fear, and then Jesus, dazzling but now alone, no longer accompanied by his prophet buddies, comes over to them and touches them gently as if waking them from sleep and says, you can get up now. There's no need to be afraid. It's just me. And as they come down from the mountain, Jesus tells them to keep this experience to themselves for a little while, at least until after he had been raised from the dead. Keep it a secret until all the things I've been telling you have come to pass. Now, this story is supposed to be fantastical. It's supposed to tend on the side of the unbelievable. And yet what I find most believable is Peter's offer to build dwellings for the prophets and Jesus. Fresh off his own confession of faith, fresh off Jesus's insistence that following him means losing everything the world tells them to value, Peter tries to take control of the situation. Maybe Peter's read-the-room filter hasn't fully formed yet. Scholars believe he may have been as young as 14. But while Peter's boldness and impetuousness gets him in trouble sometimes, it also has him doing some incredible things, like walking on water and hearing the voice of God. And sure, maybe Peter is naive, but don't all the disciples seem to be when it comes to what will happen in Jerusalem? Maybe Peter doesn't get what is going on here with the prophets and the mountains and the dazzling face of Jesus, but he does know what he, or he does what he knows to do, what his people know to do. Maybe he's pulling from the Greek custom of building a shrine to God's appearance. Or maybe he's thinking about the Jewish festival of booths, which commemorates the Exodus and the Israelites' makeshift shelters in the wilderness. Maybe he's trying to domesticate the spectacular into something more manageable. Maybe he doesn't know what to do in the face of a Jesus he doesn't really recognize, so he's grasping at anything. We don't really know why Peter does what he does. But what I appreciate so much about this story is that Peter, in his misguided efforts and his sincere desire to get this Jesus thing right, that ends in him saying stupid things and doing things that make us cringe, is that he is not shamed for these efforts and this sincerity. Though Jesus doesn't just go along with whatever knuckleheaded idea he has, he also doesn't blast Peter with a lecture about his grandiose divinity or God's great plan. Instead, Jesus gently nudges, nudges him forward, downward, he leads the group back down the mountain toward Jerusalem. As you know, the way of Lent, the holy season that is upon us, is the way toward Jerusalem, which means we are heading toward the cross. It's a time of reflection and turning inward. It's a practice in letting go, in dying, of following Jesus, not up the mountain, but toward his fateful hour. 
I could preach this transfiguration text a thousand times and always have something new to say. Because there is robust goodness and beauty here on the mountain. In a moment of stepping away in prayer, Jesus changes before our eyes. We may not be able to predict how God speaks or what God will say. We may not be able to anticipate in what guise Jesus might appear. But we can trust that whether we're on the brightest, most dazzling mountain or in the darkest, most lonely valleys, that Jesus is there, patient with us, guiding us, helping us learn the way toward Jerusalem. And what we see from this text is that it's okay if we've tried to keep Jesus safe by doing what we know to do. It's okay if we've used former templates of faith because that's what we've had to work with. But Jesus is leading us now down the mountain to give us new tools, a new template. He's showing us the way toward the cross despite our best efforts to keep him from going there. This is where we part ways now, church. These are my final words to you as your pastor. Your call now as a church is to heed the word of God and listen to Jesus. See the place he is going and follow him there. It's all right if you're scared because Jesus is not. He knows where he is going. The way of Jesus is not safe. His own disciples could not keep himself in part because he would not let them. He will not let them build a house for him to stay in away from the danger. He would not listen to Peter when he said it doesn't have to be this way. We know that he will not in the final hour whip out his Thor hammer and teach his executioners a lesson. He will not decide to bypass Jerusalem and take a gap year in India. He will not play by religion's rules, and for that he will be crucified. His very existence will threaten Pax Romana, and for that, empire will deem him expendable. And his friends will betray, deny, and abandon him, a sober truth that we face each week at the table. But we are reminded of this truth when we say, on the night he was betrayed, not to shame us, but to give us courage to choose differently each week. We are presented with the fate of Jesus and how his followers reacted every single week so that we can write a different story today. The way forward for you, Azel Christian Church, may not be as clear as you would like it to be. But Jesus knows the way forward. And he is beckoning you down the mountain for an adventure. A beautiful, thrilling, terrifying adventure that may seem like it leads you to a dark valley. But take heart. Because Jesus knows that the valley is not all there is. He knows the way through. You do not have to know the whole way before you begin. You do not have to know all the answers before you take your first step. 
you do not have to understand to join him on this journey. You need only to pack up your tents, join hands with one another, and follow Jesus in this breathtaking, magical, audacious journey of faith. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Azel Christian Church podcast. Azel Christian Church exists to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ through meaningful liturgy during worship, a public witness through outreach in the community, the nurturing of the spiritual life of every age group, and the witness of each member through discipleship, baptism, and the sharing of resources. To support this podcast and the ministries of Azel Christian Church, visit azelchristianchurch.org. Here you can contribute through giving online or find our Venmo information. If you're looking for a church or simply want to talk to one of our ministers, contact us through our website and we will be in touch. Talk to you soon.